Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Chris. Welcome to episode number 23 of Chris's on Infinite Earths here at the Chris and Reggie channel. You can find this program most Wednesdays at chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and all those other places that I yada yada through every single time out. Now today we're going to be discussing uh, what might appear to be a random issue from the electric blue era of Superman, and uh, it actually kind of is just a random issue from the uh, electric blue era. Because uh, when I look back at the Electric Blue Era, I'm reminded of a very uh, peculiar and uh, somewhat significant, or actually quite significant, uh, time in my life. And uh, the story I'm about to share with you is, uh, it isn't one that makes me uh, come out looking all that great. Um, You know, but not all of them have to be. And uh, this really isn't a time in my life that I revisit. I, I... I tend to avoid revisiting it because it's uh, just not a very good time. Um, now, if you've listened to anything I've done here, you know that one of uh, one of the a little bit of a Christianite, uh, if we can call it that, is uh, change. I'm not good with change. I'm not good with uh, I'm not good with crises. Uh, I'm not good with uh, I'm not so good with forward momentum all the time. Um, if it uh, if it upends everything else. And today's story is going to be full of that kind of stuff. Um, this goes back to uh, 1997, 1998. Um, but uh, first, I, I suppose I should probably set the table here a little bit. Um, back, I, I've mentioned this a time or two before, but uh, three days after my graduation, uh, my family, or a part of my family, moved from uh, New York to Arizona just uh, right after the uh, graduation. And uh, I've mentioned before that this was both kind of a blessing and a curse because it allowed me to graduate with all my friends. But at the same time, it kind of left me in this like nebulous limbo of where to go from there. Where, uh, you know, the, one of the hardest things for me is actually making a decision. And uh, I would have to make a decision whether or not to pursue higher education or to jump into the job force or... Or, as it turned out to be, just sit, stagnate, and stew. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's, that's you know, where, where we wound up for a little while there, post-move. But uh, uh, before we get to that, I, I do want to jump back to my senior year of high school. Now, I knew that this, uh, that this cross-country move was coming. I, I knew most of, the, of my senior year that it, was, uh, that it was coming at the end of... Uh, post-graduation. I, I knew that that was happening. And uh, here's the thing. I had, I had this is my come as a major shock, but I didn't have very many friends in high school. I had, you know, three or four very close friends. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably uh, more than what a lot of folks can hope for. So I'm very grateful that I had that. Um, but here's the thing. Despite my knowing that this move was coming and how it would affect not just my life, but the lives of my pals, I never told them. Um, I never told them that we were leaving. And, you know, I justified it in my head back then as to, uh, yeah, I just didn't want to burden them with it. I didn't want to uh, ruin our senior year. I didn't want, uh, I I didn't want every time we hung out to become... You know, another another tick on the clock. You know, where 
we knew that, okay, well, there aren't going to be too many more days like this or too many more nights like this. And I just didn't want that. And, uh, and it's funny how you justify that kind of stuff when you're a kid. And and even today I could kind of see where I was coming from, but at the same time, I can't help but just want to, you know, you know, kick myself in in the tail there because it's it was very very selfish to do it that way um, because n- nobody had any time to prepare. There was absolutely no closure. Um, yeah, and I and I did whatever I could to make sure I didn't show, I didn't sell that something was going on, and. Occasionally the the veneer would crack and I'd be a little down in the dumps, but uh, it would usually just be written off to you know, you know some girl didn't look at me <laughs> or something like that, uh, or maybe I didn't do so good on a test or something. I don't know, but I was always able to kind of dodge uh, going into anything deep, which is another thing I feel like I robbed uh, me and my friends of. Uh, Everything remained kind of surface level and uh, superficial in our conversations because that's the way I kept it. I really wouldn't allow for uh, conversations to become uh, deeper than that because I had a secret. <laughs> I didn't want uh, I didn't want people to know I was leaving, and it came down to uh, you know gra- we graduated on a Saturday. And that Saturday we went out, um, hung out after after graduation, and and I was just such a jerk. Uh, we were making plans for that summer. I was leaving in like two three days, and I'm there like a chucklehead idiot making plans, you know, for how we're gonna spend this last summer before, you know, quote unquote adulthood, and. I just kept playing along. I didn't want anyone to know that uh, I wasn't going to be there for it. And it wasn't until the next day, uh, so, you know, T-minus two days from moving, I finally broke the news. Uh, we were sitting we were sitting in the parking lot of the apartment complex we were living at at the time, and uh, we were in the car, and I said, you know, hey, you know, I want to let you guys know that something big is going down. We're moving. And they kind of shrugged it off because my folks had broken up uh, when I was like 14. And uh, in the time between that and high school graduation, I think we lived in four different houses that all had the same zip code. So we moved a lot. Um, so when guys saw boxes piled up in a house in my apartment uh, or heard that I was moving, they were like, no, all right, whatever. You know, not a big deal. We'll, we'll just, uh, you know. We'll see you in a week when you're settled and everything will be cool. But uh, at, at this point, I had to tell them that, uh, you know, this wasn't a cross-the-street cross move. This wasn't a cross-town move. This was actually a cross-country move. And uh, I was met with, you know, stunned silence, like, like I should have been met with. Um, uh, they didn't really let on that they were angry or disappointed or anything like that. Um, but I, I could tell that uh, right then I knew that I handled this uh, the exact wrong way. I didn't do what I should have done. I wasn't a good friend. Um, and that that's one of my bigger problems in life overall. Um, yeah, so we planned 
That one thing I was trying to avoid this entire school year, we planned our final hangout the next day. And it, uh, it fell through. Uh, <laughs> it fell through. We, uh, we couldn't, you know, the stars didn't align, and uh, we just couldn't get together. And I, I don't know how much of that was from design. I don't know how much of that was born of my betrayal, because uh, I don't think it could be called anything less. Because I did betray them, I did. Uh, I didn't tell them something that was going on. I should have told them, and uh, you know I still regret that. But you know we didn't get together on that last day, and honestly, that was probably for the best um, because you know it was still very very fresh to these guys. Um, I don't know how they would have reacted. Uh, I, I don't know what the best case scenario would have been. Like, if we hung out and everything was just business as usual, I, I think I would have felt a little off-put. As in, you know, eh, well, it's not a big deal that I'm leaving. Or if, you know, it was a day full of, uh, you know, tear-stained shirts, I, I I don't know that I would have wanted to handle that either, you know? I, I tell you, I, I'm, I can be very, very selfish, and I didn't want to go through that. And I, and, and I wrapped it. In this little gift box of not wanting to put them through it But it, when it comes down to it I just didn't want to put myself through it As a, you know, sort of kind of grown up today I can I can kind of see that But, uh, but yeah, my last night in the apartment uh, Back in New York It was June 30th, 1997 And uh, it was significant Not only for For uh, for the fact that we were leaving the next day But I had built it up because uh, Folks who know me know that I'm a pretty big pro wrestling fan And they'd been advertising This is back during like the, the Nitro and Raw Monday Night Wars era Where every week they were trying to top each other And uh, about a month out from this Both shows had these big reveals That were supposed to come out on June 30th And uh, I kind of wrapped myself in that you know, looking forward to that because I really didn't want to. I, I was not looking forward to anything at this point. You know, life was ending as far as I was concerned, and so I, I, I wrapped myself in anticipation for these big reveals on the pro wrestling shows. And uh, for those who do follow wrestling uh, uh, on Raw, this is where they announced that uh, the Undertaker had was responsible for the death of his little brother Kane. And uh, over on Nitro, they introduced uh, Raven and Kurt Hennig. They came out at the end of the show. Uh, not together, but uh, they did come out to end the show. And, uh, you know, the show ended. The shows ended. And uh, that was just it. You know, lights were out. And the only thing left was uh, was the move. So uh, the little bit of comfort that I had allowed myself um, was over. You know, and all that was left was waiting the nine, ten hours for the sun to come up and for us to load into the our tiny car and drive three thousand miles. Um, the next morning came, as you know they often do, and I was uh, really just not in a good state. Um, everything I knew was about to go, and I mean I, I probably sound. Pretty precious right now I mean everybody moves uh, That's just something that happens I'm just phenomenally poor At uh, accepting 
big or changes big or small in my life, and uh, and I promise we're getting to the comics eventually. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we load up in the car. We had a uh, we had our cat. We had a we were going to take a cat on a three thousand mile ride, um, and as soon as we hit the freeway, I I knew I'd made a mistake. I uh, you know you go through those uh, Kubler Ross uh, stages of uh, of uh, you know grief and acceptance and denial and stuff like that, and I'd concluded that I had made a tremendous mistake, and and you get to the stage. Of the Kubler-Ross where you try to bargain You know, you bargain with yourself And, you know, you think Or I think I'm thinking, you know, maybe Okay, maybe I can do this move To Arizona, but I'll hang out I'll hang out here for the summer You know, I'll stay in New York for the summer So I can actually get some of that closure That we never got Um, Because, you know, as as I Grow older here, I do Understand the power and uh, the uh, benefit of things like closure. Back then, it was kind of like you want to tear the Band-Aid off as fast as possible and get on with your day or get on with your life. So, you know, I'm bargaining with myself in my head, and uh, and I didn't... And I, I know my father lived there, and I could have stayed with him for a few months if, I, you know, if it came down to it. And, you know, I looked around the car, and nobody was in a good state. That morning, everybody was uh, everybody was ill at ease, and I kind of fooled myself into thinking maybe I shouldn't say this, maybe I shouldn't suggest that I stay, because this is hard on everybody else. Where uh, deep down, I think it's uh, more I was scared that my mom would pull over and say, "Okay, have your father pick you up," because uh, I uh, am kind of a coward. Um, so I didn't say anything, and, uh, we got on with our drive, and we made it to somewhere in Tennessee the first night. Uh, we stayed over, uh, really not a notable night. <laughs> it was just, all right, we're, we're on our way. Uh, the next day, we were in, we were right outside North Little Rock, Arkansas, and, uh, the car broke down. We were driving, this was 1997, we were driving a 1989 Chevy Corsica uh, with no air conditioning because you didn't really need air conditioning uh, back in the Northeast so much. But uh, we broke down right outside of North Little Rock and we were able to nurse the car in to this tiny shop. And, you know, we were greeted, the guy took the car and all that and uh, used some very outdated and unpolitically correct language pretty freewheelingly <laughs> um it was very strange for a lot a lot of culture shock in that uh moment in that morning um we uh we hung around the shop for a bit uh we hadn't eaten for a little while so we asked where we can go get something to eat and the only the only place nearby within walking distance was a uh was a supermarket, um, and I'm not sure exactly what kind it was. I, my memory, it might just be some Mandela effect here, but I think it was a, a Piggly Wiggly, but that just might be because I want to say Piggly Wiggly. Um, either way, the fella, you know, guided us there. He's like, okay, well, you go down here, you make a left, yada, yada, yada. But one of the things he told us was, you're going to see a bus stop. Whatever you do, don't walk past the bus stop. 
He goes, that's where you cross the street. You do not walk past the bus stop, whatever you do. And he had just drilled this into our heads. Just do not walk past the bus stop. And, uh, you know, we're walking. We're walking. And uh, we get to that bus stop. And it's like, I wonder what's on the other side of that bus stop. But uh, we didn't cross the bus stop. I mean, we didn't pass the bus stop. We we did as we were told. We crossed the street and entered the uh, the Piggly Wiggly or whatever it was. Um, and this was a, and I don't, I don't want to paint with a broad brush here. I, I, I hate it when people do that and I, I don't want to do that myself, but, uh, this was the first time that I'd actually seen folks in a supermarket without shoes. It was the strangest thing. Um, a lot of them were in like their pajamas and nightgowns, you know, curlers in their hair. It was just very, very different from what I was accustomed to. Um, and I, I don't remember what we, what we bought necessarily. I think we bought probably just like a few bags of chips or something, but, uh, something I'll always remember is we were, uh, we were checking out at the, uh, market and the lady behind the registers asked if we wanted a sack and my sister and I started laughing like uncontrollably at this lady asking us if we want a sack. I mean, clearly, she was asking if we wanted a bag. But, uh, the fact that she used the word sack, um, <laughs> I don't know what it was, but we lost it. And, and, and you know, it's not funny. Because, I mean, a, a sack is a bag. A bag is a sack, whatever. But, uh, that's something I'm, I'm, I'll probably always remember, is that we just lost it at, at this, uh, hearing this woman refer to a bag as a sack. Uh... <laughs> Uh, we we stayed overnight in uh, in Arkansas. We got our car back, and the guy uh, rigged it, is what he told us, just to get us as far as we needed to go. Because uh, I mean, it was an older car; it had a lot of miles on it. It was going from a moist and humid climate to a very dry climate. So he told us not to expect, you know, a whole lot out of it. He told us he would just do whatever he could to get us where we needed to go. Um, we made it to Oklahoma City the following night, or Tulsa, somewhere in Oklahoma. It was a one of the larger cities in Oklahoma, and we stayed at a hotel there. Uh, we woke up to the sound of brushing against the window. And, uh, when I pulled back the shades, it was a cow brushing up against our window. Which, again, culture shock, man. I mean, coming from, you know, New York and Long Island, it's... <laughs> it's not often you, uh... A, see people, you know, barefoot in a supermarket, and B, be woken up by a cow. So it was uh, interesting, you know, <laughs> very interesting. Uh, we arrived in Arizona at the, at the house uh, on the 4th of July. It was probably about 10 o'clock at night. We all got out of the car, and it was every bit of 105 degrees, even that late at night, which... More of that culture shock, uh, or just system shock, I suppose. It was just a uh, real, real different uh, way of, uh, <laughs> a real different sensation on the skin than what we were accustomed to at, you know, nearly midnight uh, back home. Now, I mentioned that I regretted my decision getting in that car pretty much right away. I mean, we were still within spitting distance of the house, it felt like. Um... And uh, as hard as it is for me to make decisions, it was there that I decided that 
uh, upon arrival in our new home, I was uh, not going to pursue college. I was going to find a job right away, save up some money, and I was going to go home. Um, which, I mean, 17, you're, you're basically a grown-up, but uh, I'm pushing 40 with a steamroller right now, and I wouldn't swear to the fact that I'm a grown-up today, much less when I was 17. Uh, <laughs> I was just, you know, an idiot. I was a little idiot, which, you know, so many, so many of us are at that age. But uh, my entire existence became about um, procuring enough money, and I want to be clear here, just enough money to get home. Um, I really didn't get, there was no step two to the plan, you know, because again, I was a little idiot, and it was just, gotta get home by any means necessary, and I will figure out the rest then. And, uh, you know, it, it, spoiler alert, it, it, that didn't happen, but... <laughs> We'll get there. Um, the thing, the thing about uh, finding work for me, um, I, I kind of hit a wall uh, physically. Um, I went from looking like I was like ten years old to looking like I was forty-five years old uh, overnight. And uh, so I remember going to my whole existence became about going to a strip mall and filling out applications at every single store and my uh my beard wasn't quite as thick back then and so rather than look like you know a prepubescent weasel i would uh shave completely clean and uh instead look like you know a 10 year old which uh, nobody wants to hire a 10 year old um <laughs> Uh, then if when my beard finally did come in, I looked, you know, like I was 40 because by the time that happened, which wasn't very long after that, uh, my, my hair turned white very early. Uh, my hair is mostly gray right now. Um, but it has been since my early twenties. Um, so I didn't really have that young adult look to me. It was either I was a kid or I was middle-aged. So, uh, I was uh, I found finding a job to be extremely difficult. Um, I wouldn't get I wouldn't even get callbacks. And then again, I I barely get callbacks uh, these days. But regardless, I it was uh, very difficult to uh, find work. So my plan was not exactly coming together <laughs> at this point. Um, I did manage. Uh, it took me several months, but I did manage to come up with some money. And, you know, this is back in the day where it was pre-cell uh, phones the way we, we know them today. And uh, this is during, like, the, the dime wars of, the, of the, the long-distance companies. Where, you know, like, one long-distance company will give you, you know, 15 cents a minute long-distance nights and weekends. And then the other one was 11 cents a minute, then it was 10 cents a minute, and then... It was 12 cents a minute, but it was all day long, or you could pick, you know, a few a few key phone numbers that'll be charged at a different rate than the rest. It, it was very, very strange, very, very um, nebulous uh, in, in as far as, you like, you don't know who gets the bill, if you make the call, or if you get the call. It, it's just, it was just a mess, and uh, I tell you, I made a lot of long-distance phone calls those few months. And really racked up phone bills um, because I didn't have anything out here. 
I didn't have anything out here in Arizona, so I was uh, I was just calling my pals back home, and uh, you know they'd call me. Uh, it was mostly me reaching out to them because, as we're going to come to learn, these guys had lives. Um, I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> I thought everybody was just waiting for me to come back at that point, but we will we will get there. Um, but I did manage to save up enough money to pay some of these phone bills and to buy a Greyhound ticket. Now this, uh, I figured a plane ticket was out of my price range, and Greyhound was running a deal where I think you got, it was like a, a ride anywhere within the uh, continental U.S. for $59. And you could go, you know, as far as a state away, or you can go all the way across the country, and it's the same rate because, I don't know, maybe maybe buses were hurting. I, maybe that's just normal. I don't know. But, uh... I remember I, I got a ride down there to the bus terminal and uh, bought my ticket. And then I went into a grocery store and I picked up some Aptor mags. Uh, if you're a wrestling fan, you know what those are. And I think I picked up a, maybe an issue of Wizard or something. But uh, I, I should say that in the interim here, I did get back into comics in a pretty big way. Uh, that'll come back into uh, focus later on or hopefully not too much later on because I have been droning on for quite a bit now uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I picked up these magazines and it was an, it was night it was probably like 9 30 10 o'clock at night and I loaded my stupid self on the bus and I kind of just sat there because it was dark and I couldn't read and I didn't have any music with me so I sat in a very crowded very hot very smelly bus and <laughs> I got as far as El Paso, Texas, and I became violently ill. Very, very sick. Um, it felt as though I was having a cosmic prank played on me. You know, I'd gotten so far, I've gotten so close to getting home. And I, I should preface that I was under the assumption that I would get there, I would be welcomed back, like with a hero's welcome, and... I'd find a place to live. I'd find, like, my buddies would want to move out of their parents' houses and just get a place to live, and I'd be able to find work, and everything would be great. I, you know, again, I didn't give step two a single thought. That was stupid. But, uh, and I didn't realize just how good I had it back in Arizona, uh, which is just more of that growing up, I guess, I had to do. But I made it to El Paso, where I became very, very sick. Uh, I was able to get off the bus at least before I was sick, which was a good thing for everybody involved. But uh, at that point, I realized I had another decision to make. Do I press on? Do I sit on this bus for another two and a half, three days? Or do I hop on a bus headed home and only stay on a bus for another ten or so hours? And I decided to go home uh, to Arizona because the thought of... Uh, First of all, uh, you know, starting this brand new life, sick, didn't really appeal to me. And also, I, I must repeat that I am and was a coward. Uh, so I went home, and it, it, I, you know, I couldn't get any money back on the trip. You know, I just that was money I lost, and it was uh, it was pretty rough to to deal with that because I built so much into it. I had. Uh, I had such high expectations, and they were uh, they were gone. They were taken, and you know, real life had uh, had to restart again. And I had to go back to the drawing board, and I had to figure out a way to 
make this all happen again. And we jump ahead a few months where I was actually given a plane ticket. I was given a round-trip plane ticket my mother had given me uh, to go visit, to go visit back home. And you know, I let my friends know that I was coming home for a bit. And I, I wasn't quite sure if it was going to be one of those, you know, one of those stupid plans of I'm going to stay. You know, I'm going to go and I'm going to find a job and I'm going to find a cheap apartment in New York <laughs> and I'm going to stay there. Um, this was actually more of a visit because, uh, I don't know, I, I, I guess I, I guess I get comfortable eventually and... Maybe the idea of uprooting yet again was uh, a bit too much to can, to really want to wrap my my head around. But uh, whatever the case, so uh, we I, I set myself up for this uh, visit. It was a week long visit, and you know I load my my silly ass onto a plane and uh, land. I think it was at LaGuardia. My buddy picked me up, and we picked up the rest of the guys and had. A really wonderful night um, It was a night that I had built up for You know, the better part of a year at this point But It uh, it exceeded all expectations My It was just Amazing being with my friends again And uh, being on familiar streets And seeing familiar Sights and it was just Very, very I, I, I can't even put it into words It was just a very great night um, And I was worried that they, they'd be mad at me for, uh, you know, for everything I mentioned very early on in this episode about not telling them that I was leaving. Um, we had kept in pretty regular contact over the phone throughout the year, but, you know, things are always different when you're in person when you know than when you're over the phone. And, uh, you know, we have this really awesome night. Went to, you know, the same, the same diner we'd go to. We went to the same arcades we used to go to. We had just... Just a really, really good night And uh, we all stayed over uh, One of my buddy's houses We all uh, kind of camped out on his floor And then, as it's wont to do, morning came And this is when I was kind of slapped in the face with uh, I, I know I used the, the little term Moment of profundity Maybe a bit too often But uh, this it was, in fact, <laughs> one of those Moments of profundity um, We all got up And Everybody had things to do You know um, I don't know why I'd never thought about it before But these guys had lives uh, I was the only one there Without one I was the only one who was living for this one trip And It kind of It kind of smacked me upside the head That you know, these guys had the nerve <laughs> to to grow up, to have lives, to have friends, to have girlfriends, to have jobs, to go to school. These guys were actually moving forward with their lives while I was stagnating. I was sitting, stewing, blaming the world for everything, that, for all of my inaction. You know, for every missed opportunity that I perceived as having missed. You know, I blamed everybody else for that. Didn't take an ounce of responsibility for my lot in life. Where meanwhile, I you know I basically, I I had carte blanche to do whatever I wanted. You know I could have could have went to school, could have gotten any number of jobs. Uh, well, hopefully, uh, 
and my beard was growing in a bit thicker at that point, so I no longer looked 10, but it just seemed like I was lost in my own uh, juices, I guess, just uh, really, really down on the world, and I guess that's just a normal teenage thing. This isn't novel to me. Uh, There are plenty of precious teenagers out there. I'm not the only one who was, but... It was in that moment that I was, that I actually, like, turned, you know, it turned an intangible into a tangible. I could actually see and touch the fact that my buddies had moved on because they had no choice, you know? You grow up, and when the knucklehead pal you had decides not to tell anybody he's moving until the day before, how else do you react? You have to move on with your life, um... And, uh, and I, you know, I bear them no ill will for that. I envy the fact they were able to do that because I was, I was not able to is uh, probably the best way to say that. But uh, one of my pals had uh, joked that, you know, the novelty had worn off. You know, I was there for a day and, eh, you're back now. You're back for a little bit, whatever. <laughs> Novelty's off. And uh, although it was meant as a joke, part of me couldn't help but to feel like that was true and and it was true for me too i had my taste of home and uh and it was kind of all i needed you know i think it was it was like okay well this this was the closure i needed you know um because i had the revelation that you know the, just because just because something ends doesn't mean it's over you know i i could go back whenever to visit um they could come out and visit me. In fact, one of my pals did visit Arizona a couple times throughout that year. So, I mean, just because something ends doesn't mean it's over. And that's something that it took a lot for me to to accept and to like quantify in my head because uh, for me, everything was over. You know, life had ended. And... I don't know what it was that I was living, the existence that I was carrying on with, but it wasn't life. You know, it was waiting for something to happen. And it was a rough lesson to learn. And I was angry. I I wasn't outwardly angry because I had no right to be angry at anyone but myself. But, uh, you know, I found that... The visit was uh, more for me than it was for them Because they had lives They had things they had to attend to They had clocks they had to punch You know, and So by midday I was just as alone as I was a week prior But I was I was alone but not at home, you know So I was in a strange house On a strange block In a strange town But I was alone You know, so uh, there was a uh, no comfort there. The, any comfort that I thought that I had, uh, just it didn't exist. It wasn't there. Um, because as much as I stagnated, I too changed. You know, I, I experienced things. Uh, they weren't really anything to write home about, but they were still things that were different. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's one of those coming of age things, as cliche as that might sound, where. You know, you you just your experiences kind of shape your outlook on life, and they shape the kind of person you're going to become or not become. But uh, this is a comic show. Let's get to, let's get to that for a little bit. Let's let's 
let's uh, shift uh, shift gears here because uh, I could probably go on all day, and uh, and I apologize for taking up this much of your time on some of my nonsense. But we fast forward to the Wednesday of that week. You know, it's a uh, Wednesday. It's comic book day. And although I had a hold box in Phoenix, I decided that I was going to pick up comics at my old store, you know? I thought that'd be a lot of fun. I thought that'd be really cool. And the thing of it was is everybody else was busy. You know, everybody else had stuff going on in their lives. So I had to trudge (laughs) down to the comic shop like I had done hundreds of times before, but I had to do it alone. And uh, I talk about surreal you know, for someone who I kind of date everything in my life, my life from you know what comics were coming out. I, I kind of uh, that's how I tell time. That's my, you know, that's my uh, my what is that sundial is is comics basically. And so you know, I walk down there, and it was a Wednesday midday, and I go in and I figure I'll grab you know the books I was buying. It was I was basically buying one of everything Marvel at that point. Um, hadn't really come back to DC since the death of Superman, so I get there and uh, fella in there. I'm looking for the new books, and there's no new books on the shelves. And I'm like, I'm like, was there a holiday that I didn't know about? And he tells me, no, no. He was, I, he's like, I've been doing this for for 20 years now. Uh, every every Wednesday night, I put the books out, and all the new books are on the shelves on Thursday. And I'm like, no, that's not true. I mean, I, I used to come here every day. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, back to that Mandela effect. I, I could have sworn that we'd come Wednesdays and pick up new books. But uh, but he told me, no, it was, it's, it, for 20 years it's been every Thursday that new books are, are out on shelves. And, you know, and it's weird because I, I have a few Mandela-y effect uh, situations when it comes to comic releases. Uh, not to go off on too many tangents here, but uh, the death of Superman. I could have sworn I'd have bet my lucky dime that uh, that that book came out on a Friday, because I could almost put myself in it. You know, it's, I knew it was the end of the school week. I knew that uh, my mother had picked it up for me, and I, I could have sworn that we had gone to a flea market that night on a Friday night. And uh, all the shops, all the little stands had the Death of Superman there for like 25, 30 bucks. But uh, nobody else can seem to corroborate that. A couple of people did did tell me they thought it was a Friday too. But for the most part, it was a Wednesday for to, to everybody. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know why I told that story. But whatever the case though, fact was, the new books weren't out yet. So I... I came all that way for no reason. On the racks, though, was an issue from the Electric Blue era of Superman. And and the weirdest thing is, I could have sworn that this story was over at that point. I thought that, that he was back in the regular clothes, the regular costume at this point. But uh, whatever the case, there was a copy of a Electric Blue Superman book. I don't know what book it was. I don't know what issue, what title. Um... All I know is that it had Electric Blue Superman on it. And as to not leave empty-handed and to give myself something to do, because for most of the days, I was alone, um, I picked picked up a copy. And again, didn't stick with me. I I couldn't tell you 
what it was, where it was. It's in one of my long boxes. I, I throw a dot. I don't know which one it is. But, uh, and, and it wasn't a terribly great story. It wasn't a terribly bad one as far as I can remember. But it's the reason why when I think back to Electric Blue Superman, I'm always on this weird little uh, walkabout. <laughs> this this coming-of-age, cliche, coming-of-age walkabout. Uh, learning about myself is uh, is why I always uh, is what I always go back to when I think of Electric Blue Superman. And I can't help but to think of Electric Blue Superman when I think about my move and all this kind of stuff. To me, they're just they're kind of interchangeable. It's just uh, you know, I, I say it to the point of it being cliche, but you know, uh, we don't on on the Chris and Reggie channel. We don't just talk about comics history because uh, comics history is also our history. Um, I say that a lot, but I, I believe it a lot. You know, it's it's very true uh, for for me at least. I uh, like I said, I kind of tell time by comics, and you know, one of the things that I felt uh, during this trip, and, and everything worked out okay. Uh, not that it matters or affects what I've said already, but you know, me and my pals had uh, we had hung out the rest of the week, you know, we would, they would make time for me, and, you know, we'd do, we'd have, go to some parties, we'd go to some wherevers, and it was, it was a nice visit, it was a nice visit, it was a nice way to kind of, kind of close the book, you know, is to, clo- to just move on, and throughout that second half of the week, I had these very strange pangs of regret, because, uh, you know, I, everything I had done up to this point, and, and pardon my language here, but it, it was a dick move. Everything I did was a dick move. I was disrespectful to people who cared about me, who I claimed to care about. Uh, friends, family, everybody. I was just not a very... Uh, I, I guess I was just a teenager. I don't know. but uh, So I was filled with regret. And it's regret that I had carried with me um, for a while, e- even till you know, t- not too long ago. Because you always think about the things you should have done, and you compare yourself to to other people's achievements and uh, everything they've done with their lives. Um, and then you know you, you think about it on a more, uh, you know, you kind of you zoom the camera out, and you see the bigger picture, and. You realize that regret is 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 kind of a wasted uh, endeavor, you know. Uh, uh, one last tangent before we <laughs> finally get into the book here, but uh, I had uh, I graduated college in 2017, and uh, my wife threw a party for me. Uh, we rented out a room at a local steakhouse, filled it up with a lot of people for me. I, I mean, I. I I don't know very many people, <laughs> but uh, we somehow were able to find like 30 people to, to put in this uh, in this room here. And uh, I was told early on that I would be expected to make a speech um, just to kind of thank everyone for coming and to give my thoughts on everything that had gone on and uh, the achievement of graduating college. Um, because statistically speaking, when you start college at the age I started, it's, it, you know, the, the chances are you're going to drop out. You know, so 
I was kind of a statistical outlier. Not not saying that that's special in any way. I, I was afforded a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities to work part time instead of full time. You know, I, I I had I had a lot of help. Is what I'm trying to say. So I, I don't think anything I did was was exceptional. Um, if anything, uh, those around me were exceptional to facilitate this. But. Uh, my speech, um, and I didn't write anything, just like I'm talking to you right now. I, I, none of this is written. It's just me kind of just shooting from the hip here. But uh, what I wanted to instill was the fact that, you know, you only get one shot. And not to waste time, because I felt as though I wasted so much time in not going to college um, in maybe chasing but not committing to dreams, you know, uh, where you, you think you, you wait for that that all too uh, all too convenient opportunity to knock when it doesn't. You have to make those things happen on your own. But I was convinced that opportunity would eventually be coming for me, and that uh, I was one of those gifted few that uh, don't need college or gifted many however it may be I don't, I don't have any hard statistics at hand right now but uh my entire speech was going to be man i wish i did this 20 years ago you know but uh, as i stood there you know with my ginger ale in hand and looked around the room and i saw all these people who have entered my life and all the people whose lives i had infiltrated <laughs> over the uh past decade plus, I came to the realization that I wouldn't want to change any of it, you know? So while, you know, I could regret some things I didn't do when I had the opportunity or maybe when it was more advantageous, I I wouldn't change a minute of what actually came out to be. And a lot of that is due to this move to Arizona that I dreaded and that I hated and that I was just such a little jerk about. But it it afforded me these opportunities to to get work experience, to to eventually go to school, to meet my wife, um, and it's stuff that I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. So, uh, so I you know life's too short for regret. Um, and everything, every, everything you choose to do or choose not to do is going to lead to something that's, which might just be exactly what you needed all along. Now with this, uh, extended preamble, and I, I'm very, very sorry for the length of this, uh, we will finally get into Adventures of Superman number 549 from 1997. Okie dokie. Adventures of Superman number 549 had a cover date of August 1997. The story's called The Gang's All Here, written by Carl Kiesel, penciled by Stuart Immonen, inked by Jose Marzan Jr., lettered by Albert de Guzman, colored by Glenn Whitmore with separations from Digital Chameleon, associate editor Mike McAvenini. McAvenini. Avenini. I don't know, one of those. Mike Avenini. Uh, I don't know. Uh, edited by Joey Cavalieri. Cav- oh boy, I can't say that one either. Cavalieri had a cover price of $1.95. And I'd covered this one on the blog on August 18th, 2017, and I did so for a couple of reasons. Uh, those reasons being that we've got some first issue special alumni 
in this comic, which uh, was uh, was a whole thing I wanted to do on the blog. I wanted to do a first issue special, where are they now, sort of a thing, and I, I got a, I got a few uh, entries in there, so maybe we'll cover some more eventually. We open in Metropolis, and it's just after midnight. Superman is on to patrol here, which is something altogether new to him. As mentioned, this is during the Electric Blue era, so he has no longer has the super hearing, supervision to rely on, so he's actually got to go out and pound the pavement should he want to be where he is needed. And I actually kind of like this. Uh, it's one of the more nuanced differences uh, during this era. Um, I think it's pretty neat that, uh, that he's actually got to not just fly over and hope to hear something, <laughs> I guess. Um... Now, he is now stood atop the Goldberg Theater, and he witnesses a car full of fellas rushing in to teach some punks a lesson, I suppose. Uh, either way, Superman heads inside, and he finds himself in the middle of just about the cutest rumble ever. We've got the Newsboy Legion versus the Dingbats of Danger Street. I mean, you, you can't make that up, but I guess somebody did. Uh, Superman injects himself into the middle of the action, and he pulls Newsboy Scrapper and Dingbat Crunch apart. It seems there's been a bit of a misunderstanding, with both gangs thinking that the Goldberg is their turf. After a stern talking to, the disparate groups decide to enact a 24-hour truce. And then they start making fun of Jimmy Olsen for reasons I don't entirely remember, but I I really can't, you know, harsh on, because you, you should make fun of Jimmy Olsen as much as possible. Now, speaking of Superman's pal, we join him with a uh, black eye as he chats up Cat Grant. I'm assuming something bad happened to him on camera, because uh, that's kind of the impression we're getting here, but it's been so long since I've read much of the Zero, I can't recall exactly what that was. Whatever it was, though, it did leave him with quite the shiner, so there's that. Cat hands him a copy of the Daily Planet with a Lois Lane written cover story which discusses Intergang and their mysterious new mob boss. Speaking of Intergang, we join them, mysterious new boss and all. They ain't taken too kindly to all the bad press and decide that it's time for a man named Torch to deliver a message to some skirt named Lois Lane. Hmm. Speaking of Lois, we join her, house guest and all. She arrives home to greet her husband and has brought with her Lori Lamaris. They all reacquaint for a bit and he shares with her that when not in his electric blue form, he has zero superpowers. So he is basically just a human dude when he's not all bzzzed up. She's visiting because she's heading to South America the next day for some work study. So, uh, is she still in college? Uh, I don't know. Maybe mermaids uh, do that uh, as late in their lives as, uh, as I did. Outside, Jimmy Olsen skulks about. Upon realizing that he's outside the Kent apartment building, he considers heading upstairs to chat them up. That is, if they'll still speak to him. So he really must have messed something up. I, I, I can't remember exactly what. Anyhow, before you can head inside, there's a huge explosion. Upstairs, Lori instinctively heads for the fire escape, only to find that it's been removed. Turns out intergang tough guy Roughhouse just pulled the damn thing right off the side of the building. Jimmy runs to a payphone to make a call and finds that he's only got enough coinage to make one. Seeing this as his opportunity for redemption, he decides to call his camera woman, Angie. Oh, he asks her to call the fire department, so I, I guess they charge for 911 calls in Metropolis. Uh, you, you figure that'd be a freebie, huh? Uh, inside 1938 Sullivan Place, Clark has blued up and he's helping to gather all the residents. 
The stairs are too full of smoke to consider taking, and so he loads them all into an elevator and uses his magneto powers to deliver them to safety. Are there really only a half dozen people living in this entire apartment building? I guess this is a very exclusive piece of real estate. On the street, Lois, Lori, and Superman meet up with Jimmy and Angie, and Jimmy asks where Clark is. Lois and Lori stammer for a bit. You'd figure they'd have this down, right? But uh, they say that Superman saved Clark first, which uh, causes Jimmy's freckle sense to tingle. How come Superman always seems to save Clark Kent first? Huh. Now, Superman considers this for a moment, that uh, Jimmy might not be as dumb as everyone thinks. And he corrects Lois uh, by telling her that Clark is actually still inside trying to help get folks you know, to safety, get those stragglers out. Um, I, I guess none of them wanted that all-expense-paid elevator ride to safety. Uh, why not? Um, of course, this means Superman's got to head back into the smoke trap, where he transforms back into Clark Kent and succumbs to smoke inhalation. Whoops. Luckily, a firefighter is able to actually rescue him. That's not something we see here every day. Uh, the entire ordeal here has been captured on film by Jimmy's girl, Angie, which will be important in a bit. Jimmy's happy to see Clark, but can't help but wonder, whatever happened to the man of Beyond Tomorrow? Uh-oh. We pick up with Lois picking up Clark from the hospital, where he'd been admitted for smoke inhalation. Gotta wonder how a hospital visit for a human Clark Kent might go, but uh, I figure it's probably best not to think too hard about that. Now, Clark realizes the mortality these new powers bring, and he decides to visit Emil Hamilton to see if there's any ETA on his real powers returning. Bad news, Big Blue, that ain't ever gonna happen. We'll just, we'll just play along. We begin our wrap-up back at the Goldberg, where the, its current owner, Mr. Debris... Uh, is, ticked off, is ticked off about the uh, damage done by the dingbats and the newsboys. Superman arrives on the scene just in time to introduce a group of VIPs that he'd invited to help with the renovations. And it's the green team, the teen millionaires, billionaires, trillionaires, whatever they are. Uh, worth noting, their green machine chopper lands on Simon Street, as Joe Simon did co-create them. Now, they take one look at the gold boy and drop two million in cold, hard cash at Mr. Debris' feet. Now, we can afford to renovate the old dilapidated theater into a youth center with enough room for both the Newsboy Legion and the Dingbats of Danger Street. Our story ends in the office or workspace of Jimmy Olsen, where he's watching back the footage from the Sullivan Fire. Cat pops her head in to give some kudos and suggests that he's better suited for some behind-the-camera work. Jimmy pauses the tape on the scene where Clark is being helped out of the building and suddenly realizes that he knows who Superman is. We probably ought to keep in mind that there are two other fellas on the screen when he says this. All right, had a whole lot of fun with this one, and um, not just because of our first issue special alumnus. Uh, I felt like this was a really great snapshot of the electric blue era for Superman. Um, we can start with the molecular or physiological changes in the Man of Steel himself. Uh, this era does get a lot of flack online, and uh, I'm not a betting man, but I'd venture to say the loudest complainers probably never read a single issue of it. Uh, I gotta say, it's certainly not my favorite, but uh, I think like even back then we knew it was a temporary thing, despite what uh, Emil Hamilton <laughs> would have us believe in the story. Um that said, I couldn't imagine a story, uh, this story, occurring in our contemporary uh, 
you know, somewhat toxic world of social media, I figure the creators would probably be harassed into leaving platforms on a daily basis. And uh, the very thought of which makes me kind of you know, cringe a bit. But, uh, you know, I digress. This issue handles the changes pretty well, uh, masterfully even. Uh, it's not it's not necessarily beating us over the head with all the, you know, different, different, but it actually places Superman into situations where the changes can be spotlit. I mean, our opening has him on patrol, you know, as though he were Batman or something. I think that's a really cool thing, and it makes him sort of a fish out of water while still in his own pond, kind of, I think. I don't know. Uh, the smoke inhalation is a great way to illustrate a potential weakness subtly without having him get shot or stabbed or anything kind of mortal, you know? I feel like this shows his everyday mortality, uh, which kind of makes the reader wonder, can, can Superman get sick now? I mean, that's, that's interesting. Uh, can he be poisoned by something that isn't kryptonite? Uh, what would happen if he transformed back into electric blue with lungs full of smoke? Would the smoke burn out, or would there be a different adverse effect? Would he explode? Who knows? A lot of, uh, a lot of interesting food for thought. Uh, the Jimmy Olsen subplot has a potential to be pretty good, but since it's Jimmy, I'm always going to err on the side of it being dumb. Uh, it's been forever since I read this era, but I'm already uh, bracing for Jimmy to proclaim that the guy who helped Clark out of the building was really Superman, not actually Clark himself. It's always got to be like a near-miss, silly goof sort of thing. Uh, it seems like they want to serious him up every now and again, uh, probably most recently during... At the time I wrote this was New Krypton, but I think, I think nowadays he's actually got his own little limited series, and, uh... I think they're trying to make him silly but serious now. I haven't read it, and I doubt I will, but uh, that's the impression I get. Now, the real reason that I had initially dug this one out of the long box was that, uh, you know, we get the Dingbats of Danger Street and the Green Team, which, I mean, that's that's pretty interesting. Uh, to to the At the time I wrote this, uh, the DC Wikia, which may or may not be accurate, said that this was the Dingbats' third and final appearance. Um... Their first appearance was in First Issue Special. Their second appearance was in Hero Hotline. And this was their third. Uh, in the uh, years that have passed since I wrote this, uh, Crunch has shown up as one of the new challengers during the uh, New Age of Heroes imprint at DC, which may or may not still be a thing that happened. I don't know. Or happens. For all I know, that was canceled just as quick as it came out. I, <laughs> I haven't been following. I grabbed the first few issues and never read it. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that in the interim, they were all just hanging out at the Goldberg, Goldboy Theater. Uh, <laughs> why not? Um, now, this is also the final appearance of the original Green Team. They did do a Green Team during the New 52, which was pretty awful. Um, but uh, not to say that this one was some grand stroke of genius, but uh, the other one was particularly bad. Um, I, I gotta wonder if maybe there was like a dare Or a, maybe a contest at DC's offices Like to include some of the most Off-the-wall obscure characters in an issue of Superman Or something Whatever the case may be I, I thought it was super cool that they were here And uh, this itself was a pretty good issue So if you do have a passing interest in Electric Blue I think this is a pretty good one to check out um, I think, you know, Superman Volume 2 Number 123 has been kind of done Uh you know, we did a we did a whole treadmill episode on it uh, not too terribly long ago, but I think this one kind of encapsulates the uh, era in you know showing some weaknesses, showing some uh, some strengths, and uh, really just giving you a feel for uh, just the tone and tenor of uh, this era for Superman. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I wasn't going to do a hot take this week because, uh, well, frankly, I feel like I took up enough of you guys' time today. Um, I already cut the Cosmic Treadmill Classic uh, segment this week just to uh, save a little bit of time here. I, I, I hate monopolizing too much time of, uh, of my uh, listeners here, but uh, I figured that this is probably a, an advantageous time to look at the letters page for... Uh, Superman Volume 2, number 128. Uh, the letters page discusses how people, you know, felt about Superman Volume 2, number 123, which was the first appearance of Electric Blue. So, why not do that? I, I mean, you, you can hit stop if you if you like. I, I won't hold it against you. I, I wouldn't hold it against you if you hit stop about eh, 45 minutes ago. But, let's get into it. First, we have an editorial note that says, Wow, just when we thought we were on everyone's hit list for changing Superman's powers and outfit, some of you actually looked at the issue and liked it. Not everyone, but a heck of a lot more than before. <laughs> Here, take a look. Now, these are all going to be positive letters, I'm, I'm guessing. Our first one comes from Troy from Illinois. That rhymes. He says, Dear Super People, I had to write you about Superman number 123. What you did to Superman and Clark Kent was clever and smart. Clark being totally human is a nice touch, as is Superman becoming an energy being. It's just strange to see him with blue skin. I also love that costume, I just wish there was more of it than one piece. To which our editor says, Sorry Troy, but the vest and tie just didn't do it for us, which, that, that's not very funny. Next comes from Betty in Dallas, Texas. She says, Dear editorial staff... With a question mark? I question this because anyone who can foul up a comic book as much as you have does not deserve to be called an editorial staff. I understand that you lost a lot of old hands last year, and I sympathize. But why did you have to decide that we would have to suffer along with you? Wow, Betty. You've taken away everything that has made Superman Comics my number one pick above all for the past 40 years. The suit, the powers, they weren't just window dressing for a superhero. They defined his personality and who he was. I've given the new look a fair try, but this time you intend to keep him dead. If you don't, didn't love Superman the way he used to be, you should be working on other comics. I know no other way to protest this tearing out of all Superman's fans' hearts except to stop reading the comic and to go on the internet and encourage any other Superman fans to do the same. Well, the more things change, right? Uh, the only place a business feels protest is in its pocketbook, and I believe you will feel a little lighter in that area soon. Also, if DC wants to give up the, quote, original suit and powers, I'm sure there are others out there who would be more than willing to pick them up and run with them. I've never written a letter to a comic before, and I don't expect to ever again. This has taken away a lot of my good feelings about reading comics, and I'm quite upset about it. I suppose that's all I have to say about it, but just remember, when your sales drop, you can't say you didn't know what kind of an effect this change would have. Oh, yeah, for your information, it isn't the kids that spend the most money on comics. It's dedicated adults who are working and have the money to spend on such things. So don't think for a minute that the dollars of us older readers don't count, or our likes or dislikes. As Lois Lane might say, quote, don't even try to shove something on us that we don't want, unquote. If you ever come to your senses and fire whoever thought of this change, let me know and I will pick up the comic and try it again. 
Until then, I'll just reread my over 500 copies I have in my collection and dream of a time where there used to be a Superman. Wow. I mean, that, that, one, that, that one could have been written in a, quote, current year, right? <laughs> it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, the reply from our editor says, Well, we did say not everyone loved the issue, which... It's it, 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 kind of dismissive, isn't it? I mean, I get that uh, Betty in Dallas here is uh, maybe a little hyperbolic in her complaints here, but at least address the, uh, the the complaints here. At least address what they're saying. Don't just dismiss it. That's kind of a jerk thing to do. Uh, next letter comes from an R in South Africa. It says, Dear DC, I've been following the Superman books and other DC titles some 15 years or so, and the way things look to me, I applaud Superman and DC Comics for a job well done. I bought Superman number 123 yesterday, and you've outdone yourselves this time. This is the best comic in every respect I've ever laid my hands on. I would have paid the maximum to get the best issue of this century, and the, and the cover art is absolutely brilliant. Thanks, guys. You're great. Keep it up. So, yeah, from the sublime to the ridiculous here. The best comic in every respect he'd ever laid his hands on. I mean, I don't hate the book as much as uh, Betty did, but uh, come on now. Let, let's, let's not be hyperbolic for the, for the purposes of being hyperbolic here. This is, this is like a 10 out of 10 Twitter review here. What, this is ridiculous. Um, the editor replies with, Oh, stop. Now you've done it. We're blushing. Now if we could only get you to convince folks like Betty... So let's totally, let's totally dismiss Betty once again. Our next letter comes with a page turn. So that is by a Brit in Casa Grande, Arizona, or Casa Grande, Arizona, not too far from where I'm sitting right now. He says, Dear DC, I've been collecting Superman titles for about five years now. This is 1997, so he probably started with the death. And I've never been so happy as I am now. I think it's great that you guys have changed the S-Man's costume. It shows me that you guys are not afraid to change. Yes, I still like the old costume too, but this new one has a lot of style. I don't know what the big deal is about everyone not being happy with it, but it just shows that you're, they're all being they're all that they're all close-minded. Wow. There's a, another nice way to write off any kind of complaint. He continues. I just want you guys to know that I support you all the way and will keep on collecting them until the day I die. Keep up the good work, guys. I think we need to uh, check in with Brett to see if he's uh, if he survived the new 52. I, I, I don't know. Uh, the reply from our editor is, Thanks, Brett. We hereby dedicate this month's Baldy to you in the hopes that you have an extremely long life. Now, the Baldy was a uh, kind of like a, not, not so much like a no prize, but kind of a no prize in the way that it was just like, I think it was just an envelope that <laughs> said Baldy, like an empty envelope. But, uh, Brett in Casa Grande is, a, is our Baldy winner this month, or this week, whatever it was. Next letter from Lucas in Ohio. Dear Metropolis Mailbag, What's wrong with everybody? Why do they hate the new Superman? I think he rules. He's what got me started with Superman comics. So, uh, context. Uh, this person has read, at this point, five, six Superman comics. He continues... When I heard about the costume change, I'll admit I was I was a little sketchy. But when I saw it on in the bookstore with its awesome glow-in-the-dark cover, I had to have it. I was hooked. The story by Dan Jurgens and Ron Friends and Joe Rubenstein's art were truly magnificent. 
If only those had those little at signs in front of it. This uh, could read like something we'd see today. Seritak has Seritak has become a character I enjoy. Please let me repeat this. Please don't kill him off. I won't give you any of those threats like many people give. That's the easy wussy way out. And be sure to tell Dan Jurgens that I really like his stories. I missed him when he left Sensational Spider-Man, but now I found him again. Until next time. So yeah, this feels uh, this feels like a uh, if this were today, it would be retweet bait. <laughs> Um, and again, people complaining just being written off as wussy. I mean, that that's I, hmm, I I don't like this. I don't like this uh, narrative you're uh, building here, DC. It's all it's okay for people not to like something. It's okay for people to like something, but it's also okay for people not to like something. The reply is thanks, Lucas. Though you've already told Dan all the stuff since your letters in print, enjoy the ride, and we hope you're with us for the long time to come. Maybe we should check in with Lucas and find out uh, if he bought that 7th or 8th Superman comic. Our next and final letter is from Jeremy in Michigan. He says, Dear Superman crew, this is the first time I've ever written to a comic book company, but I do love to read the letters that are printed and the editorial comments after them. I've noticed that you've been receiving an overwhelming amount of letters regarding the redesigning of Superman. Let me assure you that it is great. I love his new costume and his new powers. Just like the rest of Soup's fans out there, I would like to know a bit more about how he got his new powers, but I'm confident that those answers will come in time. A lot of people are saying that Superman's new costume is too provocative and goes against everything Superman stands for, but I disagree. We are no longer in the 30s. It is current year after all. And just as we don't wear hoop skirts and top hats anymore, at least most of us don't, Superman should no longer be forced to wear that old, outdated costume. Outdated. I, I think we're uh, I think we're kind of uh, conflating outdated with uh, timeless, but uh, <laughs> you do you, Jeremy. He continues. It was a nice costume for the World War II generation, but we're now at the edge of a new millennium, and the computer age is here and in full swing. You know, if he only knew. Therefore, Superman should evolve with the times. He's older now, married, and and the challenges keep getting tougher. So Superman should get tougher too and change with those times. Being faster than a speeding bullet means nothing to a generation brought up on lasers and CD-ROMs. <laughs> I think a lot of classic comic book characters need to come into the 90s and change out of those old costumes. All except Wonder Woman, of course. And I'm proud of DC for being gutsy enough to change the most recognized hero of all time. I wonder what uh, Jeremy thought when they put him back in the duds. I don't know. He continues, or he concludes, I never used to read DC Comics, but when I first saw the new Superman back in late February, I loved the costume. Though I was skeptical of how you were going to pull off this change, I was worried that you would change him so much that you couldn't even recognize him. But once I read the story, I was a changed man. I've since become a devoted Superman fan, as well as a new DC fan. The new Superman is great, and if you guys keep up the good writing, I'll keep reading. And look at it this way, in 50 years when Superman changes his look again, people will have a fit about losing his classic blue and white costume. Well, Jeremy, this didn't last 50 weeks. Not 50, not let alone 50 years. Come on, pal. Um, and here's another brand new fan who's kind of brushing away the, uh, the criticism given by tenured fans, which, you know, I think we uh, more... Uh, recently saw something similar to this when the New 52 started and they got rid of the, quote, red underwear, 
which I, I hate when they call it that. It, it, it's trunks. Just call it trunks. We don't need red underwear. No matter how cute Bendis thinks it is to write that into his uh, dialogue. But, uh, you know, changing changing a costume is a pretty big deal. And you, you jump ahead not very long after this issue came out, where people started going back to very classic, iconic looks. You know, this is... Uh, you know, these are when, like, the Alex Ross posters were coming out with, uh, you know, the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, uh, the Barry Allen Flash, these, just these classic and iconic costumed characters. And uh, it's just weird how quickly the worm turned on all that. Uh, he does include a PS. He says, I would love it if you guys made a poster with the new Superman on it. My old poster just doesn't do it anymore. But I thought he wasn't even a Superman fan. He, he went out and he, he ran out and bought an old Superman poster? I don't know. Uh, now our final little bit here from the editor, which is Mike McAvenny, Avenini, uh, that guy. He says, Ron Fresens and Joe Rubenstein's new Superman posters in the stores, Jeremy, and you can see it day and night as it glows in the dark. Kind of like the new Superman. Neat, huh? And while we appreciate the comments, we don't necessarily agree that all classic characters need revamping. Nor did we change Superman's outfit simply because it got, quote, old. We did want to change with the times, though, and give readers not just the man of tomorrow, but beyond. Well, there's that. It's just another uh, staggering reminder that uh, yeah, the more things change in the fandom, the more they kind of stay the same. We've got uh, uh, we've got these cherry-picked letters, uh, except for one, which kind of comes across as a straw man. The uh, the one from Dallas, where it's just so over the top. With their criticism That uh, it made it really easy To kind of surround that With all the positive letters to kind of in, in kind of an attempt to dismiss it And tear it down Don't like any kind of feelings Of narrative uh, pushing Which I definitely get here And the, I mean, the idea that This Superman was permanent Really? Did anybody see that? I mean, I was around during this time And when I saw it, it was just like Okay, this is not going to be forever just like the death, just like Batman's, uh, just like Asriel as Batman. I, I, th- I, I wanted to give us more credit for thinking that these things were temporary back then, but uh, I guess uh, maybe, maybe some people thought that this was going to be Superman from that point on, and uh, DC was not going to tell anybody otherwise. So there you go. Alrighty, I guess uh, that'll be all the time that I take up from you this week. Uh, I do apologize for going long and uh, actually front-loading this with uh, maybe a little bit too much Christery. But uh, if uh, if you enjoyed it, I, I appreciate it. And if you hung around this long, I definitely appreciate that as well. Now, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find us at chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, on any of your noise aggregators. It's all that good stuff. If you'd like to uh, read the site that this show is named after, you can do so at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. And while you're there, if uh, you see a book on there that you'd like to hear me talk about on the air, let me know and I will add it to the list. Also, if while you're there, you see a book you'd like to come on the air and talk about, let me know and uh, we'll see what we can figure out. Uh, over the next uh, several weeks, I do have uh, quite a lineup of uh, guests uh, invited on the show, so we will try to make all those uh, all those stars align and, uh, and get those going. Uh, it'll be a good time, I think. Um, Speaking of good times, I hope you had a, par- a halfway good time <laughs> listening to this this overlong episode. Um, thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, I had a great time visiting, and uh, 
saying a lot of things that I've never said out loud before today. So uh, thanks for facilitating that, (laughs) and I will uh, talk to you again real soon. So long for now. See ya.